Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Last weekend, Pastor Jay did such a good job of just really sharing his heart and uh, just coming, approaching the word with such humility. And he spoke about finding joy in trial. And this week, um, literally, James turns the page, and we walk into discussion, and he's starting a series of 12 teachings. And as he's starting through, he walks into something, and you can tell immediately that he is very concerned. So he's speaking to a group of people that they, 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 they're in the in crowd. They're believers. They feel like, we've got it. We know what it is. But he's very concerned. And his argument is this, is you accurately understanding saving faith is everything. The details are critical to the outcome. You know, Hebrews gives us this really tight definition. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Would you open your Bibles to James chapter 2? James chapter 2. And we're going to start reading um, this discussion starting at um, 12. Hey, would you just do something with me? We're one of those like crossfit kind of exercise churches. Would you just stand for the reading of the word? Is that all right? If you've got a hardcore or like old school Bible, be great. Read this with me, would you? So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and is lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace and be warmed without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works, show me your faith from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith was active along with works, and faith was completed by his work. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Lord Jesus, may that be so in our day. And you see, the person is justified by works and not just faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messages and sent them out, messengers sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Would you pray with me for a moment? Father, we just welcome you here today. We're so grateful to to be in your presence. We're so grateful for your word. We ask that you just teach and instruct that we would hear your voice, that Lord Jesus, through this, that we would have a one-on-one conversation with you. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can grab a seat. Nineteen eighty-nine. It was a interesting year. Nineteen eighty-nine was the year that the Berlin Wall 
fell. It was also the day that Microsoft launched its Microsoft Word, Microsoft Office Suite. Um, it was a big year in a lot of ways, but it was a big year in another sense too. It was a year in which I finally asked my dad for a drive to school. See, my dad used to drive one of those maroon K-cars. Anybody remember the old maroon K-cars? And he knew that I was more likely to walk to school in my underwear than I would be to drive in this vehicle. But it was a terrible day. It was rainy, it was gross, it was snowy. I think it was like a Marchish sort of day. And uh, my brother and I said, Dad, it's, the weather's gross out. We really don't want to walk. Would you please drive us to school? And so he did. So we drove this short drive to school, and we entered a T intersection. You ever see one of those T intersections where you pull up and you've got to look kind of left and right? Pulled into this T intersection, and we stopped, and my dad quickly surveyed the details of the traffic situation. And as he began to pull out, suddenly a black flash zipped in front of us. But it wasn't just a, a visual experience. It was one of those like Apple 3D headset experiences because not also did a black flash zip in front of us, but there was, this, there was an auditory component to it as well. There was like a screeching, a crunching, a mashing sound. And then on top of that, the vehicle was shaking as we were going. And so this thing zipped by, and then as the car began to settle, we sort of paused for a moment. We all got out of the vehicle, and we looked, and we realized there had been an automotive apocalypse that had happened in front of us. My dad's front bumper had literally been torn off and pulled 50 meters down the road. And what was that black flash? It was a Trans Am. If you're Gen Z, Trans Am equals really cool sports car. And so we all looked in amazement. We were puzzled. And I said, Dad, you've been blindsided. It's funny how just small details, missing small details, can utterly change a circumstance, can't they? You know, we all know this to be true, don't we? You know, we know, for example, um, if a person and, uh, like, two strangers meet and they're attracted to each other and they fail to notice a wedding ring on one or both people, it can train wreck entire families. We know that if a girl, for example, misses the detail that she is deeply loved by her father, she can proceed in her entire life trying to find love in all the wrong places. We know, for example, if a person, if a child thinks that they are an accident, they're just made, you're just some fluke that happened, instead of being designed by a loving creator that made you, designs you, and forms you, there's consequences for that. A fall a person their entire lives. See, the details matter. You know, in the same way, in what God is calling saving faith, I can miss a seemingly critical but very important detail. You see, what James is doing is he's coming into this conversation and he's starting this series of 12 teachings. And he's very concerned because these people, they think we're the in crowd. We got it. We've got it figured out. We know what saving faith is. We got it figured out. And James's argument is this is, no, no, you don't. You have no idea how far you are off. You know, as we step into this conversation, I want to encourage you to, it's so easy in a conversation like this to, to look, you know, elbow your wife or look to the left or the right of the person across the room and say, hey, you got that? I want to encourage you. I want to invite you today to say, hey, do I got that? Do I have that in my heart? 
You know, Jay did such a great job last week. I think he had five different questions. Uh, Pastor Jay is a lot smarter than me, so I'm just going to do one question today. Is that all right? Are you guys good? Okay. So in a world full of faith in all the wrong things, what does saving faith look like, especially in 2013? You know, it's a tricky question because the word faith is being used in a whole bunch of different ways. You know, I can have faith, for example, that I'm going to come home and there's going to be supper. I'm always going to make supper for us. I can have faith that I'm going to wake up, you know, the next day and be able to tie my shoes. I can have faith in the weather, weather network. I can have faith that the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup. Well, the good news is we're not left to figure this out alone. We have the timeless word of God that we can come to. And so James is teaching to this group of people, and he is very concerned that they have got it wrong. And his argument is this, is that if you get this wrong, there are dramatic consequences that follow. And one of my greatest fears is this, is that many of us that grow up in church, it's like we think we've got it. It's kind of like, oh, I, I got it. I think I've got it. Do you? You know, we read Hebrews chapter 11 and think, I, I think I sort of got it. Do you? I have to admit, my goal today is to make it clear, crystal clear to you what saving faith is. And I just want to admit, I am high, for personal reasons, I am highly motivated to make this clear to you, not just intellectually, but I want you to feel it too. I want it to resonate in your being. I want the Lord to have a conversation with you about this. So, in a world that's full of faith and all the wrong things, what is Saving faith in Jesus. Buckle up. You guys ready to go? All right. First is this. Saving faith is not sentimentality. Verse 15, we read this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and is lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So what is sentimentality? Sentimentality is this idea of a positive feeling when I say a word. I say the word, you know, like a, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I might have a, a positive association with it. You know, in the same way we can be like that with Jesus, where you say the name Jesus, it's like, oh yeah, Jesus, that feels good. You know, Jesus, you know, we can have this sentimentality. We can have this idea, nostalgia. We can have this kind of positive connection to it, but that's as far as it goes. James' response to us is this. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Wait a second, bro. Isn't it cool for me just to like say, you know, hey, I love Jesus and I'm good? You know, don't I get to just say the prayer? It's like, hey, I believe in Jesus. Maybe I cry a little tear and then I'm good. You know, I grew up in a tradition where there was an expression called once saved, always saved. Anybody familiar with that? And, and there's really nothing wrong with these expressions. The question is, what exactly do you mean by that? If you mean, for example, that I say a prayer, I cry a tear, and then I'm good, I can do whatever I want, that is not the gospel. If you turn to uh, Matthew chapter 15, we read this. It says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's an awareness of the facts, 
but it hasn't transpired into something with him. Now, my Reformed friends are getting pretty nervous right now, and you're saying, hey, what about Romans chapter 10? You know, if I confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God saved him from the dead, or raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't worry, we're going to get there. See, faith is not saving faith if it ends in words. You know, Pastor Brent, he came to us um, a couple months ago. He was in Israel, and I shared this during a message, but he also shared it to a group of us as well, and he said this. I was in Israel. There was a secular Jew, and this, this secular Jew, they were giving a tour of Israel, walking through, like, Jerusalem and all the places. And at one point, he said something like this. He said, non-Christian, I said, do, do you believe in Jesus? And he's like, what kind of a dumb question is that i'm like he walked here he was crucified over there he ate over there like what kind of a silly question is that see faith is more than just an acknowledgement of the facts it's more than just the warm fuzzies when we hear maybe the name of jesus this woman acknowledged that but she didn't follow him i had a buddy uh Let's call him Jason. Jason, if you're watching this, I just want to say I'm really, really sorry for what I'm about to share. <laughs> Jason, he goes, and uh, Jason was an interesting guy. Number one, he was the only person in high school that I actually could grow a full beard that I knew. And he looks shockingly like Steven Seagal. Everybody know who Steven Seagal is? I'm a famous actor, martial artist. And if you walk up to Jason and you ask Jason, Jason, you know, what are you into? Jason would say, I love martial arts. I love martial arts. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then he would even go as far as say, I am a martial artist. I'm like, oh, you are. Okay, so what martial arts do you study? And so is it jiu-jitsu? Is it karate? Is it kung fu? Is it taekwondo? What do you study? And as I would list off the different martial arts, he would start getting really nervous and agitated. And I'm like, Jason, what's going on? And he'd say, well, I'm, I'm self-taught. Oh, you're self-taught. Interesting. And then I ask him, well, Jason, where do you study this martial arts? Like, where do you spend time practicing and working at martial arts? And uh, Jason would be like, again, starting to look very frustrated and agitated. And he would say, you know, places. Oh, places. You see, saving faith is not sentimentality. But also, saving faith is not this. Saving faith is not a team spirit either. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Hey, wait a second, I'm a part of Team Jesus. I cheer, I, you know, say the thing. Well, I'll tell you this, if Jesus is your spiritual James LeBron and the church is your spiritual L.A. Lakers, that is not the gospel either. If you love Jesus like the Reform Party or the, you know, the, the uh, Liberal Party or the Conservative Party, if you love Jesus like the Toronto Maple Leafs or you know, the Montreal Canadiens, if you love Jesus like that, then that's not saving faith either. James 14, we read this. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my Father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Lord Jesus, may it be done in our day. Matthew 25, we read this, and Jesus is telling a story. He says, 
Then he will say to the, those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not come after me. And they will also answer, Lord, what are you talking about? We didn't see you anywhere. And they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in our prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's like, come on, Jesus, you're being a bit harsh here. I wore the jersey, I sang the song, I paid the admission, I showed up, I waved the flags. You know, recently I, uh, I lived in England for a couple of years, many years longer than I want to admit ago. And uh, when I was in England, I realized soccer is a huge thing, called football over there. It's a big thing. And in the UK, there was a docuseries recently. I just watched. It was called Welcome to Wrexham. Anybody watch that docuseries? I am literally the only one in this room. Okay. Sorry. So the, the, I, the premise was this, is Rob McElhaney, Deadpool actor, and, or, sorry, uh, and the Deadpool actor Ryan Rental, Reynolds, they bought this soccer team. And the idea is we're going to purchase this soccer team and try to revitalize it. And so I watched this docuseries. It was very interesting. But one thing incredibly stood out to me. You know, these people, they would show up at like the pubs with the jersey on. They would talk about, you know, the soccer team, Wrexham like us. They would show up at the stadiums. They would wave the flags. They would sing and they would shout and they would chant and they would do all of these things. It's like a religion. They would do all of these things, but they would never get on the field. They never knew the coach the master. Saving faith is not a team spirit. So if saving faith is not sentimentality, saving faith is not a team spirit, but also saving faith is not works either. Verse 18, James goes on to say, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. I'm sure like five seconds ago you would have thought, okay, Johnny, I get where you're going. It's all about works. If I just do a bunch of good things, I'm good. I'm good. I just got to come and I'm going to do a bunch of good things and everything's great. It's just simply the work. Some people call that the social gospel. And it's this idea of I just need to out-good the bad stuff. And then God's kingdom will come. It's a war of attrition. I just need to do a whole bunch of good works. And I'm just going to outgood it. And eventually good is going to triumph over evil. And it's going to be good. And that's all that really matters. I don't know about you. I, I feel good when I do good things to people. You know, there's a homeless person and I give him five bucks or something. So I feel good. If I have a piece of furniture that I'm not using... You know, that I give away. It feels amazing. I actually had this thought the other day. I think I'm going to fill my backpack full of Tim Hortons cards, $5 Tim Hortons cards, just for the, the great feeling of it. It feels fantastic. I love it. But apparently, saving faith in Jesus is not works. 
either. James goes on to say this. He said, if you think, you have, if you think faith is just works, you have no idea what you're missing. You have no idea the power and the purpose and the significance of what you're missing. Verse 18, we read this. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You think faith by its, you think works by itself is good? You watch it when I combine it with faith. Because I tell you this, I can give away a mattress, and it's just a mattress. Or I can give away a mattress in Jesus' name and completely transform a person's life. You know, I can give like a $20 Tim's card to someone on the street, but if I do that in Jesus' name, they can encounter the presence of the Lord. I can walk up to you and give you a hug, and it's just a hug. It's a nice sentimental thing. But if I do that in Jesus' name, and my wife just returned from the Bahamas on a missions trip, and I don't know if you know this about the Bahamas, but there's a 70% fatherless rate in Bahamas. 70% of families, there's no father in the picture. And so this missionary, he showed up, and he walked up to a young guy. He, he met this young fellow before, like a couple years before, and he showed up, and this young boy looked him in the eye, and he said this. He said, why are you back? And this guy said to the little fellow, he said, I came back for you. I gave him a big hug, and he said, I love you, son. And that one hug completely transformed this boy's life, completely changed his life. And this boy today is actually, he's a missionary planted a church, not a missionary, actually, he's a native church planter in the Bahamas and leading a church today, completely changed his life. Verse 18, show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, faith is not works. Verse Matthew 17, we read this, and Jesus says this, many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from you evil doers. At this point, you might be like, I can't win. Like, I can't win. Come on, James. It's like you're being tough on me. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I, I like doing good stuff. I'm a doer kind of personality. And you might be like, same too, it's like, man, I recycle, I give to UNICEF, I sponsor Outflow Ministries, a great ministry, I drive a hybrid car. It's like, come on. Hey, if you lean in this direction, I, I get you. I am you. Like I know I'm a doer kind of personality. I express my love through doing. I often tell the, uh, the Charlottetown campus that my only spiritual gift is lugging stuff around and loving on people. That's all I got. That's all I got. It's going to have to do. But I tell you this, no solar roof ever saved anyone. No electric car will ever deliver anyone from the power of eternal sin. No organic garden ever freed anyone from the chains of addiction to opioids. And no charitable donation ever delivered anyone and made you right with a holy and perfect God. Are these things good? Maybe you get to decide. But I tell you today, saving faith is not works. It is not the social gospel. 
You know, often as a pastor, you deal with people that have just broken lives and a lot of brokenness in their history. You know, we've been starting a Celebrate Recovery in Charlottetown. We've been doing step studies. And, like, I'm just, it's been amazing just to see the Lord working through a group of people and transforming their lives. And in the midst of all of that, you know, often, almost every time you deal with people, there's a lot of brokenness from their family background. And one of the most common stories I hear is this people point back to. It's like, I grew up and I felt like my father never loved me. Just never loved me. Never saw me. And if you then turn to the father and you say, hey, this is, you know, what so-and-so is saying about you. The father was like, what are you talking about? It's like, I worked 70 hours a week for you. I put a roof over your head. I mowed the lawn. I put you through school. What are you talking about? And the child responds, it's like, you never said you love me. You never spent time with me. You never hugged me. Saving faith is not works. So saving faith is not sentimentality. Saving faith is not a party spirit. Saving faith is not works. It is not the social gospel. So what is saving faith? Saving faith is this. It's the reception and the release of God's grace. Hebrews chapter 11. Again, we read this just very tight definition of what faith is. Faith is the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. James chapter 2, he defines it in this way. So speak and so act as those who have been judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And here we see James, he gives us a key to help us really get our head around saving faith. One of the key phrases he uses is this idea of law of liberty. What's the law of liberty? The law of liberty is this, is that God's amazing grace showed up to me. Apart from my works, apart from anything that I can do, in the midst, the Bible says, I was dead in my sins and transgressions. He showed up. He showed up to a guilty person like me and brought this costly gift but free to me, the message of salvation, and righted my relationship with him. And he, not just that, he adopted me as a son. You know, today's Nunavut Day. That's a close one to home in my family. He adopted us into a family, and he loved on us. But he didn't just say that. He said, I'm going to make you a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Amazing. Amazing. So it's the acceptance of God's free grace, his amazing grace, his unearned grace. His favor and his love adopted as a son, as a co-heir. And in the midst of it, we hear the whisper of this. Romans chapter 8. And if this wasn't enough, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Once you've experienced God's grace, it's like nothing can separate you from the love of God. Church, say nothing. 
Nothing can separate. I'm free. And then James continues, and he says this, verse 16. So in light of God's amazing grace, speak and so act as those who have been judged under the law of liberty. And you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give to the person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. And he finishes off by saying, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James Moo, he's the... uh, or Douglas Moo, he's one of the foremost commentators, many think, on the book of James, and he makes a statement. He said, he, James, stresses that the life of the one who has been so accepted by God must show the fruit of that relationship. What is fruit? What are works? He continues, works are anything done in obedience to God and in the service of God. So what is he saying? Saving faith is the receiving and outpouring of God's grace. They're not actually two things. They're actually one thing. Receiving God's grace and pouring it out to others are not two separate phenomenons that I choose to do, but instead I receive God's grace apart from works and it flows through me into people around me. Hebrews chapter 11 It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So I want to ask you today, where does the evidence point in your life? Where does it point in your calendar? Where does it point in your finances? Where does it point in your relationships? J.A. Moyder, Bible Speaks Today, another commentator on James, says this, genuine faith reaches out in costly compassion to people at risk. See, James' argument here, his teaching can be summed up in three words. One what they are? Let grace flow. It's grace given, grace received, grace given. Let grace flow. You know, as a child, there were two bodies of water that I just really... They're fairly significant in my life. One of them was Basin Head. Near Basin Head Beach, there was actually a little bit of an inlet and a harbor, and there was a, like a pond there. And as a child, young child, my dad used to take me there, and we used to fish. And as a kid, you could fish and catch fish there, and it was, you'd catch trout there. But what happened is over time, it became landlocked. Over time, it no longer was accepting flow of water. And over time, it was never stopped releasing it. And what happened? It grew over with weeds and eventually died. And today, you can't fish in that. The other one is Victoria Park. And Victoria Park is another body of water that really struck me as a, as a child. And it, it had this rock mass that would move over a hill. And in certain times of the year, there would just be like these little pools of water that you'd see, like just Nothing at all, basically. But as the spring rains would come, as the thaw happened, these little pools would turn into a trickle. And these trickles would turn into a little brook. 
And this brook would turn into a river. And this river would turn into a rushing falls. And as the rushing falls happened, life would spring up around it. Fish would start to leap. Grass and plants would grow. Birds would nest in it as it received and it flowed out. Brothers and sisters, that's a picture of the way that you and me are meant to live. Receive God's grace. So in a world that's full of faith in all the wrong things, what is saving faith in Jesus? I'll tell you, it is not sentimentality. Faith is not a team spirit. Faith is not work. Saving faith is the reception and the release of God's grace. Let grace flow. Hey, as we're landing the plane here, I'm meditating on this and just thinking about this for the last couple of weeks. I'm so struck by my own family. Maybe you can picture your own family as well. And uh, I grew up as one of five siblings. I have two older brothers and two younger children. I'm the middle child. Explains a lot, Pastor Brent. And uh, in the midst of my family, we heard the gospel our entire lives. Heard the message of grace our entire lives. But I watched the way that we all kind of interpreted that in our own ways. And I saw one of my siblings, literally half of my siblings, spun off into sentimentality. Another sibling spun off into, hey, you know, Team Jesus, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, the right thing crusader. I'm going to do a bunch of deeds. And both of them are so far away from God today. So distant from him today. He's close to them. They've shut him off in their hearts. so loved by him. But I'm also struck by this. If you stand with me for a moment. The university, and I was so close to that, millimeters from that. And uh, in the midst of all of that, the Lord just showed up. University student backslidden away from him, not really getting what the gospel was. And in the midst of that, God shows up. And in saving grace, he comes and changes me. And we're part of a church that had talked about just receiving the presence of the Lord and being filled and touched by him. And God just came and he transformed myself, my wife Lisa through it. But it was amazing as we received the flow of God's grace and salvation, we began to see our families get touched as well and transformed. Both families, it swept across our families like a revival. I remember my dad saying to me, he made this statement. My dad's a pastor, like, and he's like, Johnny, if I hadn't encountered the Holy Spirit, I would have, we would have, my, my marriage would have completely broken up. Our family would have been torn apart. But for the grace of God. But for the grace of God and to transform our lives, to transform our families. See, it's the assurance of things hoped for and it is the evidence of things unseen. Let grace flow. So our church, I want to leave you with a couple of things to reflect on, things to, to meditate on and consider. 
Question one is this, is I have faith, but do I have saving faith in Jesus? What evidence is there of my faith in Jesus? And this is a real invitation for all of us today. It's like, how can I turn deeper into saving faith with Jesus? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just thank you for your great love. We thank you for the opportunity to respond and to, to worship you and to be with you today. And Lord, we just ask that you just keep ministering to our hearts, provoking our hearts onto turning deeper into you. And everyone said, Amen.